Welcome, everybody, to a very special holiday treat I've got for you today. Andy Zoden here, KickServe Radio and Mile High Sports. And in case Santa left anything out and you didn't get everything you wanted, I've got a special treat for you today as I'm joined by one of the true greats in NFL history, one of the great guys, one of the great players. He is the one and only Billy White Shoes Johnson, a boyhood hero of mine, Billy, thanks so much for taking the time during the holidays. Merry Christmas. How are things going down there in Atlanta? Doing pretty good. We had a nice Christmas, a loud Christmas, a lot of grandkids and stuff, but it was nice. How about yourself? Oh, it was great here in Denver, Colorado. It was beautiful, and uh, what's not to enjoy about being close to these Rocky Mountains? True, true. Right? So back when you and I were living in, in the same part of the country, which was Houston, Texas, and I was just a just a high school kid admiring your work. You came into the league, Billy, with not a lot of fanfare out of Widener University. It was 1974. You're a 15th round draft pick. I believe you were number 365 overall. Now, when guys like, let's say, Rocket Ismail out of Notre Dame, Desmond Howard out of Michigan came into the league, there were high expectations on both the return side, on the receiver side, but for you it was a little bit different. You joined the Oilers, and it was a question mark, and obviously uh, history was made from there. Talk about how things evolved being drafted by the Oilers and, and how things went so well for you there. Well, you know, it was one of those deals where uh, – the scouts from the Oilers came personally and talked to me and, you know, considered me, had me do a few drills, and they were, they were happy with what I did for them at that time. And, of course, you know, you look at the guys who were, went to the big schools, uh, had big names. It was a lot easier for them. I came from a very small school, but it was just a matter of, to me, giving a chance to get on the field and to be able to show and show my talents. I felt as though I was just as good as any body at that time, returning punts, kickoffs, well, because in college I was a running back, and I thought maybe they would be the receiver, which they did, which was no big deal. It was just a matter of getting an opportunity, and that's how I looked at it. So I had everything to gain, nothing to lose, and I was just a standing coming from a small school and getting selected, uh, even though it was, it was a real low-round drive choice to, to play in the NFL. So when they moved you from running back, you probably expected it, and then when Earl Campbell comes to town a few years later, you're like, yeah, I get why I'm not playing running back for this team. <laughs> I definitely knew why I wasn't going to be a running back. Although I did run a lot of, you know, formations from out of the backfield. And sure. Caught a couple of squeaks, a couple of quick draws and things like that. I had a coach tell me one time, Andy, that the more you can do or uh, the more you work at different parts of your craft, it's going to make you somewhat invaluable because you can do many things and, and try to do them well. That way it makes it tough on the coach of where to play it. And I, I just took that uh, to mean keep working hard, do what you do, don't worry about things you can't control. So, Billy, one of our mutual friends is pretty upset right now, and that's Dan Pastorini. And you and I both know that when Dante gets his mind made up about something, there's no changing it. And he is absolutely certain that you should be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to read you here a couple of reasons why he thinks that. Three Pro Bowls. Three first-team All-Pro, you were on the NFL 75th anniversary all-time team, the NFL 100th anniversary all-time team, you were on the all-decade team in the 70s and 80s, and, oh, by the way, you're the NFL Comeback Player of the Year in 1983. And I, I talked to Dan about it, and he said, now you can ask Billy about this all you want. He's going to be way too humble when he answers the question, but damn it, that guy needs to be in the Hall of Fame. What are your thoughts on that? 
<laughs> you know, I, I can't concern myself with what people, how they vote and what they do and how they decide who gets the Hall of Fame. Listen, I'm very fortunate to play a game that uh, people often dream about. I feel as though I had an opportunity to play and uh, to make some contributions. So, you know, I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shunning it. But um, if it happens, it happens. So I'm just so happy to be able to uh, have played the game and, and have some success. I would say having some success is is the least of it. Billy, when we look at today's game, things have changed so much. And I was kind of like racking my brain trying to figure out, okay, who's who's a modern-day Billy White Shoes Johnson, and really the guy that the only guy that really truly came to mind that has a skill set that's reminiscent of yours was Tyreek Hill with the Kansas City Chiefs. First of all, do you agree with that? And second of all, is there anybody else in the league right now that that I'm missing that maybe you would say compares favorably to you? <laughs> I'm not comparing myself, but you know, we're two different. Well, you know, we're all different entities, but I sure. really believe that Tyreek Hill has talent that. Uh, they move him around like they, like they should do. He's a threat as a kickoff returner, as a punt returner. It's just every time he gets his hands on a ball. And I think one thing I can say for sure is that he wanted the ball, and, and, and every chance he got, he tried to make it, uh, take advantage of that opportunity. And that's why I felt. I just wanted to get the ball in my hands. You know, we don't get it that much, mind you, but when we get it, we feel that we can do something with it. And I think that's he plays like that. Uh, I enjoyed doing that. I had a lot of fun, and I think he also has a lot of fun taking in reverses and turning punts and kickoffs. Uh, the more valuable he gets, he won't be doing a whole lot of punt returning and kickoff returning, but he enjoys the playing the game, and that's that's the top of the list. So let's let's get back to this concept of having fun, and nothing was more fun for you and your teammates and all of us love you blue fans back in the day than watching you do that funky chicken in the end zone. Where did that come from? And it really is, you are, talk about a trailblazer, a pioneer. You were really the first guy. I think people maybe forget a little bit about Elmo Wright, and I don't know if he was copying you or he did a little of that too, but right. talk about where that all came from. <laughs> well, I used to do Elmo in college. Okay. Dance running in place. Uh, oh, right, right. That's what it was. Okay, yeah. yeah the running yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, he used to do the running man running in place. And, uh-huh. you know, we often um, have some nice conversations teasing each other. Uh, he said he was the one. I said, Elmo, but I dance. You just right. dance in place. You just move. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, but it all started just having fun on the lark. Playing uh, a rival team of ours. And uh, you know how you do in college. You talk a whole lot of junk, a lot of trash. And what happened one day night before the game, we were playing a rival team of ours, and I made the mistake, well, it wasn't a mistake, but I was saying, yeah, if I go, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And he said, okay, yeah, yeah, we're going to make sure. When I did score, I, you know, it didn't cross my mind, and all of a sudden, it flashed into my mind that, oh, you got to dance now, or you're welching on the bet. So, uh, I took the dare, and I started dancing, and, and, and the crowd liked it, so I continued to do it. Now, unfortunately, it led to the NFL deciding that this was not good for league. Not you in particular, but I think people started taking your cue and then maybe going a little bit overboard with it. There were some really cool little dances, the Icky Shuffle, and you had a few other things in the league. Yours was very unique and very original. What do you think of these celebrations that that are highly choreographed? And you can tell these guys are spending a a fair amount of practice time has got to be spent on some of these dances because these are like six- and seven-man deals. I mean, your thing was you for a couple seconds, and that was that. 
Well, here's the thing, you know, uh, there's no matter what I say or what anybody else say, uh, if you don't want them to dance, you don't like what they're doing, stop them. Right, right. <laughs> and you got to stop them on the defense. They won't be dancing. Uh, I think sometimes, in all honesty, I, I think it's nice sometimes. Sometimes uh, they may go over the edge a little bit, but I still think it's good for the game. It's still entertainment. To each his own. I just, I just think it's okay as long as it's not detrimental to the game. And I don't think it is detrimental. It's all entertainment. Speaking of a couple of guys that when you say, well, if you don't want them to do this or that, then just stop them, that's a lot easier said than done. I want to ask you about a couple of guys that seem to be really revolutionizing the sport, particularly as the quarterback position is being played and being viewed, and that's obviously Lamar Jackson, who is, for me, a clear-cut MVP this year, but also Patrick Mahomes. Talk about what you're seeing from those two young players. And speaking of a guy whose whose moves might compare favorably to yours, this Lamar Jackson is doing things with the football from the quarterback position that we just haven't seen. Well, you know, that's, that's interesting you say that. I think when you look at both those guys and you look at their beginning uh, of how they played the game, each one, especially in the NFL, they weren't uh, given much. I should say they were given a chance but the expectations weren't that high, you know. You would hope so, but evidently somebody saw something in Lamar, somebody saw something in Patrick, and they said, hey, if given the opportunity and you're able to groom them well, they're going to play at a high level. And and here's the thing I, I like about them both. Man, you can tell they're galvanizing for the ball club. They're having a lot of fun. They're enjoying it. And Lamar, having uh, been with Michael for about two or five years, I uh, remind me Michael Vick because of his quickness explosion. And, you know, you see it on TV, but it's one thing you've got to see in person to see how he outruns angles or how he sets people up, make them miss. Patrick's the same thing. He can do a lot. He's a big guy. He can take a hit. He's a lot more elusive than people would expect at that size. I just think it's great because it's one of those things you're proving people wrong and you're doing it. Uh, uh, good fashion. All right, so Billy, I think another guy that belongs in the conversation with Patrick and with Lamar, let's go back to where you and I crossed paths back in the 70s, which is back in Houston. They got a guy there too, and in fact, I want to talk to you. You know, you had the connection with you and Dan Pastorini, and now in, in Houston, it's Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. Talk about what you're seeing from those two former Clemson Tigers and what they're doing to sort of reinvigorate this Houston football market. Oh, man, you talk about guys who, I mean, Andre Hopkins, Andre Hopkins is unbelievable. I saw him play, in my opinion, both in college and uh, Deshaun, of course, when I was at the Falcons, I just uh, left when he started coming around as a young high school kid. But I saw him play before, uh, and he's from, from the area. And uh, when he went to Clemson, it, it, I, mean, I was really pleasantly surprised at how good he was. Now, here's the thing, the leaders in their own rights, what they do now, they you know they're not big and, and rant and raving and all this other stuff. They just get the job done, and the ball players look at them guys as a you know as, as that leader by example. And to me, it's great for the team of Houston. You got guys who are good, upstanding guys. Hopkins is what sixth or seventh season. He's gotten better every year, I think. And of course, Deshaun, you know, it's wide open. But I think. You couldn't ask for two final ball players to come to a ball club to resurrect that image of uh, in Houston. My guest today on KickServe Radio and Mile High Sports is the great, the one and only Billy White Shoes Johnson. Billy, I got a couple things I want to ask you about here that are sort of uh, current topics 
with the league right now, and I want to see, get your thoughts on it, because people seem to be really frustrated with the instant replay effect on the sport with respect to watching football these days. What are your thoughts? You could have certainly used it in one AFC championship game against the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers on a, on a particular Mike Renfro should have been touchdown. Mm. And I know you could have used it that day, but overall from what you've seen with the advent of instant replay and its effect on the game, what are your thoughts? You know, you put the officials in a bind sometimes, but here's the thing about it. When you start, making these rules, uh, you got to get people who play the game who are on the field and not just, you know, and I know you're thinking of the finances, and that's great, but sometimes some of the things that they, they, they do, it don't make sense. You know, uh, the defensive back, well, actually, the defense is always seemingly a backpedaling, and, 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 you know, they can't get a break. They can't touch a guy. I mean, if they look at a guy too hard, they're going to get a penalty. Right. And now you, you're going to say offensive interference, come on. You're going to have those calls. I still think, you know, the human element is part of the game. Of course, you can clear it up with some instant replays, but he was that official sometimes. If he gets it wrong, he'll admit he gets it wrong. And they do, but I, sometimes I think you can over-legislate. Right. Something that baffles me, Billy, and I think it's baffled NFL fans for the last – year plus right now as is the direction that we've seen the career of Antonio Brown go and you're a guy that's had an opportunity to mentor young people you've always set a great example if you had an opportunity to put your arm around that kid and give him some advice what would it sound like I would just tell him hey look look where you are and how'd you get here and just go back and make him reflect on on, on how he got there I'm not going to try to change his mind uh, you know, he's done some things, but the pass is a pass if he's willing to, to move forward in a positive vein. And that's it. You know, we've all made mistakes. We've all done some things we're not proud of. But move on. Don't let that hold you hostage. And you can't blame anybody because it's up to you to make those decisions and choices. You've been surrounded by, you know, some good people. So take advantage of it. And, you know, you got to have some people that, to me, who would be able to, uh, he can confide in whether it's good information that he wants to hear or whether it's bad information that he wants to hear. But he has to have somebody to be able to bounce things off of and, and he can really trust. You know, and, and I think he'll kill him at that point sooner or later. I'm not judging him at all. It's just a matter of these are the things that he, he should have to do moving forward, but he should look at how he began and where he is now. You talk about uh, guys that are raised the right way. You mentioned, you know, obviously Deshaun and DeAndre uh, in that conversation. And then you get a couple of guys that are superstar receivers. You got one right there in Atlanta, Julio Jones. You got one uh, in New Orleans right now that comes to mind, Michael Thomas. And these guys are big-time mm-hmm. superstars, but they seem like guys that aren't being affected by the money. Do you think that the money in the sport nowadays has a tendency to possibly – turn a guy's career for the worse because it's just the money back in your day, you know, you guys made a nice living, but it wasn't enough to change your life. Like it does these guys. Do you think that there's a potential detrimental effect that it has to be able to make the kinds of multi millions of dollars these guys make nowadays? Not necessarily. I, I, I think, you know, it, it all depends on the individual of how they see themselves, and, uh, uh, their background, uh, who they associate with, uh, Julio is a primary example. The guy works hard, and don't get me wrong. Now they all want to make that long, that, that long bread, which yep. which I think they should. But they're going to do what they have to do first. First, to get the money, they're going to have to work hard, execute on the field, which they do, and then they take care of that. But 
like I say, I, it, 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 it varies to each individual. The money is good, and, and some of them, uh, let's face it, they wouldn't work as hard as they did if it wasn't for the money that they were going to, to receive. So uh, saying that, I just think that when you go from very humble beginnings to you know, making a great deal of money, uh, you just got to uh, know or associate yourself with good people who've done it the right way. And I think that's what you guys were known for back in the day, Billy. And that's what I want to close with today. Those amazing love you blue years. Reflect back on that. I was a kid in high school and I got caught up in the hysteria of it. You were a great team with great players, but yet you, you were still, it's, you were, you were branded as overachievers. Uh, talk about the days playing with Dan Pastorini, playing with Earl Campbell, playing for Bum Phillips and playing in the city of Houston and the way we embraced you, the way we did coming out to the Houston Astrodome and just having the most fun NFL fans could have possibly ever had without winning that Super Bowl, which, which unfortunately you went up against those amazing <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers, but you guys were, you guys were one of the greatest things that ever happened to Houston. Well, that's the thing that uh, people don't realize. We were, you're right. We were a bunch of overachievers. I mean, you get uh, my first year of all the draft choices that were selected that year, and I was probably the, the lowest of all of them. I was the only draft choice that made it that year on that team. Guess what? The other guys were free agents. First year for C.L. Winnington was free agent. Wow. Chris was a free agent. Um, uh, Teddy Washington was a free agent who came over from Kansas City. Uh, and then we picked up some other people, and I said, man. So, and it was a good time. That's, they had just went back-to-back back, with one in 13. So we all thought, we were going, shoot, we can't do as bad as they are in the previous years. Then we get the addition of Curly Coleman and Dan, and boy, I mean, he, when I first come in, that's what I ever heard was Dan Pastorini, this guy here. You know, he, he looked up to the mark. Um, but it was the guys that loved being around each other. They, oh, man, we had so much fun. We had just as much fun in the locker room as we did on the field. And, and of course, I don't want to overlook Bum. He had the knack of allowing men to be men, to police themselves, to uh, be able to draw from each other and pick each other up. Uh, and that, boy, that, and you can see, nobody tried to browbeat you, nobody tried to dog cuss you. It was, hey, guys, we're in this together. So let's protect one another. And of course, it's one of those things he said, hold on to that rope. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> you right. Know, which, which really, guys got, when he explained it to him, it made sense. The guy on the other end who's grounded, he ain't, he ain't got to worry about it. It's the guy who was dangling. <laughs> yeah, he definitely ain't going to hold on to the rope. I mean, let, let go of the rope. He's going to hold on to it on a safe footing. So when you look at all those Earl Campbell, uh, Curly Culp, Alvin Bethany, I mean, these guys, shoot, you know, all those guys, look, Robert, Alvin, Curly, Earl, four of five of them made the Hall of Fame. So we had teams, but you don't go far unless, or, or get unity unless the guys are together. And training camp was, was fun. Everybody looked forward to going to training camp. <laughs> wow. So when you guys were in camp that first year and you had this team that was up and coming, you bring in some free agents, and then Earl steps out onto the field, and you guys are starting to see what this guy really is all about and what he's going to be all about. You never know with a rookie running back what you're going to get. You know, college is college and then the pros. You know, Ricky Williams didn't necessarily 
immediately live up to what his expectations were. But when Earl walked on the field and you guys started to see what this guy could do, did you all kind of look at each other and think, oh, my, it's on now? Well, it was one of those things you got to wait and see, wait and see, because like you're saying, you don't know. Preseason is totally different from the regular season. But you know, one thing about him was determined. He was kind of a quiet storm when he first came on, and he was determined. That's one thing about it. He had that, you look at his eyes, that determination. He was going to prove to the world that he was worthy of being a Heisman Trophy winner and being a high a draft choice. And of course, he was. Uh, then you saddle that with like a guy like Tim Wilson, who's you know University of Maryland, uh, come in and Rob Carpenter, right. and you know you look at the guys on the line: Carl Mock, Conway Heyman, George Ringer, Eddie Fisher, uh, uh, and you get Mike Barber and Mac Austin and John. I mean, it 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 it, it and John Sawyer. It, it, yeah, it's it's amazing of how from different parts of the country and just we all had that one notion we want to prove to people that we can play and we don't want to leave out your boy Kenny Burrow because he's cer- he certainly oh double O definitely <laughs> definitely how much fun was he to play with oh he was good I tell you I've never seen anybody run as fast as he and, and it's so funny because you look at him and everybody thinks that Mike Frenchman was slow uh, <laughs> Mike had good speed and great hands the whole Golly, day a litany of stuff with these guys. With um, like, see, I wouldn't just come starting a safety. Um, uh, Mike Renfro coming in. Mike Reinfeld. And when you look wow. at Teddy, Teddy Washington, Robert Brazil, Steve Kiner, great. I mean, you look at these guys, uh, uh, man. And, and you always had to pick up. Whenever one picks up, whatever, like a guy like Robert Woods. That's right. That's one good thing about the Oilers. That love you, Blue Era. If you didn't fit in. You know, you you know, you weren't, you weren't going to be there at all. And you go back and look, just about everybody we brought in uh, came together as a unit, and, and, and it was like a one big happy family. Well, I'll tell you what, reflecting back on those days is about the biggest holiday treat that I could have had. Billy, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming on with us today. I know NFL fans still hold you very uh, dear to their heart, and uh, not just in Houston, not just in Atlanta, probably a little bit in Montreal, too. I know you had a year there with the Alouettes and a cup of coffee with the oh, Redskins, yeah. <laughs> right? But you are one of the, the true greats, and I think uh, I think you should probably get into the Hall of Fame, if for no other reason other than maybe for the Joe Namath exemption, which is those white shoes and just that guy that just sort of is a one-of-a-kind personality in the sport that everybody loved watching on and off the field, and... Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you today. Well, Andy, I thank you. I just wish the sports writers thought the same way. <laughs> well, one of these days hey, they'll come around. Yeah, I, that's how I look at it. One thing I failed to mention is, that, you know, we talk about the Oilers love you blue, but, you know, they all have that, you know, hey, we're going to do what we have to do. And like Dan, shoot, I like to be in if I, if I was ever to find someone in an alley, a true alley fight, he's my guy. <laughs> well, well, you know he'll you know he'll be packing some heat, so yeah, that's yeah. probably helps your cause. <laughs> no, but you're right; he is definitely a guy you want to be in the trenches with. And I've, I've I've teased him on air a lot about the fact that he's he's left more body parts on different NFL fields around the country than just about anybody else that ever played the game. Oh, you that, flak, that flak jacket was his was his baby, wasn't it? 
Oh, you better believe it. Him and Earl at the same time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That is, oh. that is the truth, Andy. Thank you so much. Billy Johnson, ladies and gentlemen, great to visit with you, Billy. And hopefully this isn't our last time to be able to do this. Well, I hope not. Look forward to it.